Hello and welcome to episode 331 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we're coming to you in different locations again this week. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion, Storm. And I'm coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks. Oh, the Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks. Well, we'll talk about them oh, plenty at the, the end of the pod. Oh, the four-time WNBA champion, Seattle Storm. I mean... They're not one and two. Two people can accent the words they're saying. <laughs> Touche. Two can play that game. They're not one and two, but they were three to one. Well, that's a that's a lot better than winning five, three playoff games. A lot more than the uh, Seattle Seahawks are going to win this year. I'm pretty confident. Uh, it's still a lot more than five teams in the league. It's still fresh hop season. Hello. So this week I picked up from the uh, Super Deli Mart from our friends at Rubens Brews in collaboration with Single Hill Brewing, the Yakima Squeeze Fresh Hop IPA. Time that's Yakima, right in the heart of the Fresh Hop region of Washington. Uh, time is no, no, no. That's the Fresh Hop region of the entire world. Sorry. Thank you, the Washington. Washington. I mean, but you have to distinctly come up with some way to tell people that it's in Washington too, right? Uh, you don't need to tell them that it's in Washington. They, they know, know that's like, oh, it's the Champagne region of France. No, <laughs> I think actually people do say the Champagne region the of France. Champagne region. I'm pretty sure they say that. Well, okay. Anyways, yes. it, nobody's <laughs> going to be confused with the Champagne region of Qatar, like. <laughs> Okay. Uh, time is of the essence during hop harvest with brewers scrambling to squeeze as many fresh hop beers as they can into a short season and us scrambling to squeeze as many of them into the podcast as we can. We made time for a hop saturated collaboration with our friends at Single Hill and ended up with Yakima Squeeze, a bright West Coast IPA that combines fresh Yakima Valley hops with a splash of flavor from a New Zealand variety, which is not the fresh hop region. No. I'm not going to type Yakima Squeeze into Urban Dictionary because I'm scared oh, about what no, I'm Oh, no. But a Yakima Squeeze does not sound like something I want. You know, you know what they say. What? It's the Palm Springs Squeeze of Washington. I'm sure it is. <laughs> uh, we also had a delicious Ruben's Fresh Hop uh, uh, brew at our tailgate last Saturday ahead of the Huskies-Cardinal game. Thanks to Third Fulton brother Nate Taggart, the listener Tyler Gardner, who actually got the uh, got the beer and the uh, the Miller sisters. So shout out to them for that. Uh, our toast this week: we start out with a congratulations to OL Rain, which clinched a playoff berth with Saturday's two nothing win over the Houston Dash. We'll have more. Wow, on. this might be a two playoff clinching berth week in the city of Seattle. It might be. I don't know if technically they will count as the same week, but okay. Uh, on when it happens we'll have an update on the san diego wave later in the mm. pod next up congrats Those are words i hate to hear 
<laughs> Congrats to Jewel Lloyd, Brianna Stewart, and the U.S. Women's National Basketball Team, which advanced to the semifinals of the FIBA Women's World Cup with Thursday's 88-55 win over Serbia. Noel Quinn in Canada currently facing Puerto Rico as we record up big at halftime, with Gabby Williams in France battling China and Australia hosting Belgium in the last of the four quarterfinals. Australia and U.S. on other sides of the bracket and can't face each other until Saturday's final, which will take place at 11 p.m. Pacific on Friday night. Hello. Uh, next up, congrats. It's FIBA World Basketball After Dark. <laughs> yes. We're talking like I mean, Hawaii after time dark After Dark. It's all After Dark here. I, I oh, say. I love it. These I Australia it. games have been exclusively at like three in the morning. So I got to say that uh, I, I have not caught any of them thus far. 11 p.m. sounds amazing. I mean, they are not that far from Hawaii, so it would make sense that it would be closer to Hawaiian time. It, it would check out, yes. All right, next up. Somebody's going to say that it wouldn't check out because of the international date International dateline. I mean, uh-huh. yes, I guess that they are actually opposed, but they're they're a day apart, but closer to, I don't know. I, I'm not going to go Tell through more that about whole time zones. hashtag Peltoncast time zones. It's already a problem. Uh, congrats to UW softball coach Heather Tarr, who signed a four-year extension that takes her contract through 2029. There we also go. Also added a commitment this week from 2024 recruit Alexis DeBoer. Daughter of Kaylin DeVore. Oh, really? You know was... what's exciting about that? What's that? Is that Kaylin DeVore presumably plans on being in Seattle in 2024? <laughs> well, believe it or not, uh, the, the Seattle Times wrote about this. I, th- I think it was Percy Allen who had that story. Uh, Alexis DeVore was being recruited by UW Well, Kaylin DeVore was at Fresno State. Oh, She came okay. for a visit last year to watch the UW Cal game. And it was such a thrilling moment. That her dad decided to take the football job. Oh, we love to see it. So we love DeBoer to see it. legacy on Montlake. Uh, and then lastly, congrats to UW kicker Peyton Henry, who was named the Pac-12 special teams player of the week. Is Michael Porter's dad still an assistant coach at Missouri? That's a great question. I don't know. I've not <laughs> followed that at all. They've got a lot more kids, though. The, John Taylor Is was not Nate the Hackett the still the head coach of the Denver Broncos? Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, uh, Michael Porter Sr. does appear to still be there. Because there are more children coming? <laughs> I mean, he is also a longtime basketball I know, coach. I know, I know. Just don't listen to his opinions on anything. Well, you know, yeah. On anything. With that, uh, no hot takes again this week I, as you've I, been traveling. I really considered some hot takes. I was walking through the Hollywood Forever Cemetery in Los Angeles, California earlier this week, and I was looking at so many different graves as I was walking through. I saw icons from throughout the centuries, right? There's Estelle Getty, Anne Heche, RIP recently, Chris Cornell, Johnny Ramone, Judy Garland, and I thought what I would see out there was your 2022 Seattle Warriors. Oh, no. Wow. But no. But no. All it took as we discussed previously, was cooling the fuck off. And one win, one win. And now, I mean, playoffs are basically locked at this point. We love the idea of Ayuhenio, uh getting back into the mix, swinging, uh, hitting the ball again, looking incredible. And really, it's just about keep everybody safe, keep everybody healthy, get everybody back by the playoffs. It's, it's a three-game magic number, baby. It's done. It's over. I'm calling it. Do you know I've what's seen the enough. Drops? I have seen enough. Well, 
the I the results are in. Fate. We're calling it. I am uh, tempting fate here. Do you know what the Fangraphs playoff odds are currently? Ninety nine point nine percent. They are not. A hundred. They, they, they are a hundred percent. After a hundred percent today's win, uh, and the Orioles lost. That is that's straight Boston. up like political. You know, it's like all the votes haven't been counted when they call it, right? That's you still wait on votes. Not all the games have to be played before. Fangraphs has seen enough. Fangraphs is calling <laughs> the American League playoffs for your Seattle Mariners. Put it on the board. Put it on the board. Uh, let's hope there's no hanging chads involved in this one. Wow. We're trying to think timely, of who the right, right chad stuff. joke was. Timely chad Bradshaw? Stuff. Is he still around? Is that a thing? He was Even more time, right? you really, you really nailed it with the when you went with the Chad Brad Brad. No, nope, nope, that's not the same anyway. What was his what, name? What was his, your, the relief pitcher for the Oakland A's? Yeah, I think his name was Chad Brad. Chad. Oh, Chad Bradford. Chad Bradford. That was the part of it that I had wrong. Okay, there you go. You were conflating Harry uh, Bradshaw <laughs> oh, and yeah. Chad Bradford. Two people I talk about equally frequently in the in the year two thousand twenty-two. Yes. Yes. So. The Mariners had lost nine of their previous 11 before winning one Wednesday. That's all it took. the opener of their season-ending homestand against the Rangers on Tuesday. But uh, Red Sox back-to-back wins over the Orioles to help reduce that magic number. The M's, after they complete this series against Texas, will host the A's over the weekend before wrapping up the season with four games against Detroit, including a doubleheader on Tuesday which seems exceedingly poorly timed for a team that's actually going to go to the playoffs. (laughs) I mean, these are going to be kind of lame duck games for the team, right? Who knows about seeding, but we're at a place where I don't think the seeding matters all that much. And I think the place that the Mariners want to be in is the second you clinch the playoffs, you get everybody healthy. You rest everybody. You get Kellenic a lot at bats, right? You get, you get my boy Kellenic comfortable out there. But the reality is maybe winning those games is not the right thing to do. Maybe six is the, is the place to attack here in the playoffs. So the Mariners currently still projected by fan graphs to edge out Tampa Bay the majority of the time for that fifth seed in the uh, AL in the second wild card, uh, despite still being a half game back of the standings. And that's what made it all the notable last week when Canada dropped its vaccination entry requirements that's uh, officially going to happen on October 1st, meaning Robbie Ray would be able to pitch in Toronto if the M's face the Blue Jays in that three-game series, which would entirely be in Toronto and all barring a stunning collapse by the Blue Jays. Robbie Ray, revenge. (laughs) Yes, against his former team. Uh, You mentioned that uh, Eugenio Suarez returned to Tuesday from the injured list, currently limited to DHing. We haven't seen him back at third base. Julio Rodriguez eligible to return on Monday. Despite the good vibes of the Mariners after winning one one game, I uh, did want to note I, I did some research. Because as bad as the offense has been lately, it feels like the defense has not been nearly as good either. You've got Ty France playing at third here with Suarez out. Uh, a variety of left fielders not named Sam Haggerty who have struggled with the act of catching the ball. And then Jesse Winker, I don't think it was catching that was Jesse Winker's issue, but uh, uh, it's not been strong left field play. And obviously, you know, Dylan Moore is holding it down in center, but it's not quite the same as having Julio out there. So I was taking a look at the Mariners batting average on balls in play against their pitching staff. The first 44 games of the season, opponents hit 300 on balls in play, which would rank 23rd in the major leagues over the course of the season. 
If you start May 27th, which conveniently was Sam Onofrio Hagerty's first start for the Mariners this season, and go through September 14th, the betting average on balls in play in that stretch was 280, which would rank sixth in Major League Baseball. And then during this recent 2-9 stretch, the betting average on balls in play has ballooned to 325, which would rank, rank last in Major League Baseball by a mile. I mean, it's basically just Julio's been out. They're playing Ty France at third base. Like, none of this matters. It's about personnel more than it is situational. And probably some bad luck involved in there that is likely going to regress to the mean a little bit. I mean, I do have to ask here, if we are calling this and we're no longer afraid of jinxing things. It's 100%. We're not calling it. You and I are not calling it. Fangraphs has called it. Are we going to do an emergency pod if the Mariners clinch, even if it's anticlimactic? I mean, it still will be the first time in 21 years. We can do an emergency pod if the Mariners clinch, but the reality is what's more important is where they... Them making the playoffs is done. It's over, right? That's gone. Gone from the question. We could do one. seeding that matters. It's the seeding that matters. And I I really... Anybody, anybody who thinks that the number six seed is not the right seed... It's totally off. Because totally off. Wow. Totally off. Totally. This I is mean, the take. It would be very fun to play a wild card series at home. But do you know what would be even more fun? To win the wild card series and play a fucking series against the Yankees again. Come on. Do you not want the Yankees? Wait, no, I think you've got this. Yeah, the six seed. Okay, yeah, the six seed plays. Eight. Yes, no, I agree. This that's, is long that's term. You're talking about two of the Mariners' biggest foils in the playoffs, right? We have no history with the Astros in the playoffs. We want correct. the Guardians and we want the Yankees. The, Ast- the Mariners have literally never made the playoffs with the Astros in the AL. That's kind of, kind of wild. But we want to do 1995 in reverse oh, this time. Oh, wow. Wow, this time it's not going to be Joey Corey and A-Rod that are going to be crying. It's going to be or, or uh, A-Rod that's going to be a crying Joey Corey. It's going to be Aaron Judge. <laughs> Why is it? I guess, yes, it's in the ALCS. I guess, yes, it does have to be a Yankee player, not a Guardian. Aaron, well, I mean, it would be the DS still, but. Or, yeah. That would be the, the second DS, series. But yes. it'll be Aaron Judge consoling himself with $1,000 bills <laughs> that don't exist. <laughs> Maybe even million-dollar bills. <laughs> Wiping tears away. An amazing scenario that you have outlined. Anything else on the Mariners? It, it's a nice time to uh, not have to stress about these games. I mean, this was, why, this was why last year, when their playoff odds never really shot up, fan graphs and hopes. That's the thing. Fan graphs always knows. They know. Yeah. They knew what was coming when we were like, ah, it just doesn't really make sense. This math doesn't feel right. Fan graphs, there's not glitches in the computer. They're able to understand the games that are coming up, and they know when the Mariners were at nine, nine, when the Mariners were on. But in this those games came up, and then the Mariners lost them. It was yeah, basically, the, they knew that the Orioles' odds, their playoff odds, never went down. That's, That's what true. I'm telling you. They knew the Orioles. They never went down keep it up. because what what our pea brains cannot comprehend is everything else that's going to happen in the future. In the same way that if we had odds and Pete Carroll getting fired, Fangraphs would know better than we do, because our pea brains can't comprehend how bad it is to lose to the Atlanta Falcons at home. We're getting ahead of ourselves, but 
Well, let's hope our pea brains can't can't comprehend some things about my NBA projections that they're rolling out on Thursday. Cause, are they? Yeah. I trust Fangraphs so much more than I trust NBA projections. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> you go in and tamper with the NBA projections. You sprinkle in the hate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. Yes. For the Lakers, weirdly, every year. The Lakers projection is not good. It's not? I, mean, I don't think that's going to be a major, the major source of controversy. Are they projected to make the playoffs? No, but they aren't projecting. No? Nobody's projecting them to make the playoffs. The Lakers? Yeah. I mean, do I? Do you want me to look up where their win total ranks among Western Conference teams? Okay, tell me about the Blazers also. Behind the Lakers. Solid playing territory. Your numbers always, always hate the Blazers. Uh, that's not untrue, but they don't know about still, my boy Shadon. You know, I think that Shadon is a very exciting prospect. I don't think that Shadon is very likely to be good this season. <laughs> His projection is not not the best. Okay, that's one anything else interesting from your projections? projections? There's there's one team in particular that's going to be very kind of wow. The Lakers over under is forty four and a half. My God, there is a such a lakers uh tax in las vegas but that only pits them tied for eighth in the west with new orleans who is the one team that is you'll see tomorrow are they in Uh, the western conference or the eastern conference western conference the eastern conference projections i feel pretty good about is it there's one that you're surprised is going to be way better or way worse well there's one that's way better but also more notably one that's way worse really yes is it Minnesota that's better? Uh, no. Minnesota is probably State about what's worse. It, it is. It is the defending champion, Golden State Warriors. Wow. The numbers don't don't like the defending champs. I mean, you remember what happened with 538's projections last year? They had them 37 and 45 at the start of the season. So. And then they won the championship. What did, they did what win is the this? championship. <laughs> But then they lost Gary GP too. Like, remember what five thirty eight told me in two thousand sixteen? <laughs> Should we talk about the Kraken? <laughs> no. <laughs> in what scenario? Are you say I saw. Too? I saw there was preseason hockey happening, and I was like, "No, thank you. We're good. Well, we are good." Well, the Kraken opened up that preseason with back to back three nothing wins at Climate Pledge Arena over Edmonton and Calgary. Uh, they next face Vancouver home and home this weekend and visit Calgary in the next week. It was a big night for Joey Decord on Monday as he assisted one of the three goals as a goaltender and stopped 16 shots while combining with newcomer Martin Jones on a shutout. Uh, incumbent starter Philip Grubauer and journeyman Marcus Helberg shared the shutout on Tuesday as the Kraken continue preseason play. Much like Joey Decord's last name, that is totally okay. <laughs> Seattle Sounders That's a playoff odds for you. You don't get it, but it's okay. No, I don't get that. No, it's true. I don't speak any French. Seattle Sounders playoff odds via 538 SPI down to 5% after a draw Tuesday at home against Cincinnati FC. Cincinnati Call scored... me when Fangraphs has playoff odds. <laughs> Cincinnati scored early. The Sounders did manage to pull even with a Freddie Montero goal not far into the second half, but were later reduced to 10 players when Kellen Rowe was shown straight red 
for a tackle as the last defender against a Cincinnati break. Uh, Christian Wuldon did return from injury in this match, but the Sounders missed their national teamers in a game that was only played during the international period because of the CONCACAF Champions League run. Uh, in case of the CONCACAF Champions League title, really just completely messing with the Sounders' chances of making the MLS Cup playoffs. There is still a path to the playoffs for the Sounders, but they need two wins in their final two games, two Minnesota losses, and some other help, and some rule changes. <laughs> On Sunday, they host Sporting Kansas City, which has already been eliminated from playoff contention. It'll be on FS1 on Sunday. As mentioned at the top, O.L. Reign, crucial wins Saturday by goals from Bethany Belser and Veronica Lasco, shutting out Houston on 17 shot attempts. Nidesh did play without star forward Ebony Salmon, who had, I believe, both goals in their win in Seattle due to COVID protocols. So now heading into the season's final weekend, the Reign sit second one game behind the Portland Thorns. One point, I should say, behind the Portland Thorns. Behind the Portland Thorns. One point ahead of sporting of uh, the Kansas City Current. And not sporting case. <laughs> really all off. <laughs> uh, yeah. And two points ahead of the hated San Diego wave who drew on Sunday to fall off the pace. Caught a bad wave. Uh, Rain can still finish anywhere from first to fourth in the NBOSL standings. And that's seeding very important for them because the top two seeds get buys to the semifinals and host those matches. And a win in Saturday's season finale against Orlando, which is out of playoff contention in ninth would guarantee the rain one of those two top spots and a buy directly to the semifinals that's correct to the western conference finals in layman's terms i mean yes it doesn't necessarily be uh uh doesn't necessarily have to be against a west opponent obviously but uh it is the conference finals equivalent i truly love that the first time that ol rain are playing a season at lumen field formerly CenturyLink is also the first season that the Sounders are not going to make the playoffs. Wow, only one Lumen Field tenant at a time can make the playoffs, apparently. It and is for, really, there's a weird soccer kinda, tenant. It's, it's a really interesting time in the city of Seattle where where one was up, the other was down, and things are flipping, right? Like, you kind of look at the I mean, Seahawks there was the, the year, remember, a, where the Sounders started poorly and the Mariners had started so well. That was the year that I, I called the Sounders not making the playoffs. Wow. You'll recall. And that forecast did not hold up. There was a recount and the Sounders surged in the standings. But the Mariners at that point were up with a fun differential and then they collapsed to earth in the second I half. Don't, I don't think the balance to the Mariners is the Sounders, though. It's the Seahawks that are the balance to the Mariners. It's possible, but there have been and periods Super. in the last 20 years where the Seahawks have not been good. It's more about Super, weirdly. And even periods in the past 20 years where the storm were not that good. But, but the Sounders have always, literally always made the playoffs since they've existed. And the Mariners have never in that entire period made the playoffs. So we are staring at the potential of another year where neither the Mariners or nor the, the Mariners and Sanders do not both make the playoffs. Yeah. Which has never it, happened again. It is, it is a dramatic. Maybe it, you it, have the Seahawks way down. You it definitely didn't happen back up. in the NASL era either. It, there's a change in the guard of the city of Seattle. That's all I'm saying. And we love to see it. And we hate to see the wave. So our in mom every, was watching. In every capacity, we hate to see the wave. Our mom was over here watching part of the Mariners game with me this evening. And she was like, you didn't used to, you didn't ever watch the Mariners before, did you? And I was like, well, in the 1990s, I did. <laughs> 
There was that one game last year I watched. You think I'm going to be watching Unieski Bencourt? Jeff Cirillo? No, absolutely not. You know who I've watched a lot of? Who is that? UW football. There we go. And well, I'm not yet convinced that I'm watching the best quarterback that I've ever seen play for UW. I did like what I saw on Saturday night as they took a 17-0 lead over Stanford. Led 30 to 7 through three quarters en route to a 40 to 22 win, moving up to number 15 in the AP poll, number 18 in the coaches' poll at 4 0. Underrated. <laughs> I mean, that's probably about right there. I think 18th in FBI right now. Uh, Michael Penix Jr., not quite as sharp last week. He completed 60% of his passes, which by his standards, or Geno Smith's, very disappointing. But they did go Can for... Can we stop talking about completion percentage? We you have advanced past percentage. completion percentage. We have... There's EPA per play. Do we not have that for college? Oh, we do have that. It's somewhat limited, though, because not every game has play-by-play. But you understand, completion percentage is like talking about fucking batting average. Completion percentage is the each row of stats. Like... Gino Smith, in fact, oh my God, there's never been a better corollary, right? <laughs> Put Gino into the goddamn Hall of Fame, right? But like, if you Gino watch him, does you're this, like, wow. If Gino does this for two, you know, 15 years after being a dominant player in Japan for the previous however many years, then I by all I means, put Gino in the Hall of Fame. Charger seasons. <laughs> yeah, he was doing a nice job of holding that clipboard. Uh, West Virginia, I feel like they were fairly dominant under Gino. They were they were probably pretty good, but you know, yeah, I think so. I don't know if they were Penix good. Anyway, you understand what I'm saying. We can't completion percentage is not everything we should be looking at. Yards it's per not attempt everything is everything we more, should be looking at. Yards per attempt is a more relevant stat than completion percentage. Completion percentage is done. That's like V one stat. You to understand even look at. that like CPOE is half the equation. In Ben's metric to evaluate and it's quarterbacks, EPA right? per play. At no point is it just straight completion percentage. But I'm saying the completion percentage could, part of the I equation could is complete a pass. I could complete a pass in the NFL. Mm, dubious. Oh, if you just passes like can be flip the any ball straight forward just to the running back. Because the ball is thrown doesn't mean a successful thing happened. Gino is it's, playing well. Is, I don't know why you refuse is, to admit this. Is this is not an anti-Gino take. It's an anti-completion percentage take. You're way too low on completion percentage. Anyway. I'm way too low on completion yes. percentage? You're way too low on yards per attempt. I mean, it literally was the ne- uh, next thing in You're, the notes, but I couldn't even get to it because of the fact that you were whining about completion I don't hear, percentage. I'm done hearing about completion percentage. I don't even want to hear those words. If it's not overexpected and it's not EPA per play, I don't care. I mean, we don't have CPOE for college. I'm sorry. Uh, Roma Dunze starred this week with eight catches for 161 yards and a touchdown, including a 61-yard completion that did not go for a TD. After his big game in week three against Michigan State, just one catch for 11 yards this week for Jalen Polk. So the Huskies basically rotating through a variety of different receivers. They've had, I think, four different receivers with 100-yard games already this season. I mean, I mean, that's a sign of <clears throat> just the depth that they have at receiver. And I think that's something that Kalen DeBoer talked about when he took over the job was the skill that they have at receiver and how many different players it is. It doesn't have to be Jalen Polk every game. It doesn't have to be one player. It could be Polk. It could be a Dunze, right? That's something that we want to have happen. We want those 100-yard games for different players. Sure. 
Uh, it was a breakout game on the ground from Wayne Telepapa, who had 13 yes. carries for 120 yards, including a 34-yard oh! touchdown up the left sideline. That was after a turnover, right? I don't know. It was a thing of beauty either way. Uh, the Husky defense sacked Tanner McKee eight times, including Where two Where did that come from? For Braylon Trice and middle linebacker Alfonso Tupatala, as well as one and a half each for Zion Tupola Fatui and Jeremiah Martin. ZTF also, I believe, credited for with eight hurries in this game by PFF. Uh, they picked McKee once, recovered a pair of fumbles, and the Huskies coaching staff said afterwards that they had kind of seen that this slow-developing RPO action that Stanford unveiled against USC, as we talked about, was something that was going to allow them to get up the field and rush the passer. And lo and behold, that paid off. It was a lot Absolutely. better than the Seahawks forcing Russell Wilson to go left, let me tell you that. First off, that's Braylon Trice, real name, no gimmicks to you, sir. <laughs> Touche. The pass rush was a thing of beauty and something that we have not seen. I mean, obviously, we've seen extraordinarily secondary play here, but that many I mean, sacks. We haven't seen it in person because ZTF had the dominant 2020 season, but none of us were there. Oh, it, it was incredible. And, 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 also, I, and I will say about... against Washington State, like the interior pressure year after year when it was Vita Vea and... Uh, Levi Unzaruke and uh, Danny Shelton. Like, that's been pretty awesome for a long period of time. But, like, the pure edge rushing, I mean, you did also have also, uh, Joe Tryon Shoyinka. If you're comparing the steel line to Vita Vea and Danny Shelton and Levi Unzaruke, I mean, yes. We'll, we'll see. Good. We'll see. A lot of NFL stars. In but, that. but even that it happened, at least to some extent, via coaching, I think is especially exciting, right? that they're able to cater a, a defensive game plan to the specific opponent. It was very interesting how different they looked versus Michigan State than how different they looked against Stanford. Yeah, that's, that is an interesting point. I mean, Stanford, basically what the pressure did is kind of prevented Stanford from taking advantage of UW's weakness in the secondary. We saw Jordan Perryman sit out yet another game. Uh, remains, you know, hopeful to play next week. Michelle Powell, Kaylin DeBoer said, will not play this week. Sounds like a couple weeks for him. Uh, they had, you know, an injury, I believe. Or, now, they, they rotated during this game, but basically you were at one point down to your fourth and fifth cornerbacks in there for UW. Any word on Asa Turner? Asa Turner sounds like probably not this week, but there's a chance of his return. I mean, Cameron Fabiculanin has played really well at safety, so yes. I don't think that's been as big of an issue. I think is the depth at at at, say, at corner, where you know when Stanford was to the extent that Stanford was able to move the ball, it just tended to be a lot of one on one plays, I guess, against these young corners, basically, Mike Wilson Jr. in particular. I mean, I even I even just think on the Wilson? offensive side of the ball, Mike Wilson having a game where UW ran the ball well. Right. All of a sudden, Michigan State's getting clobbered against Minnesota at home. And we're saying to but, ourselves, but Kent State playing tough with Georgia. Did they? Yeah. Did you not know about this? I thought they played the previous week somebody quite well. Is that? Well, they had played Oklahoma previously. They lost. Oh, yeah. They played. They Oklahoma lost to Georgia 39 22. Kent State seems kind of good. Loki kind of good. Kent but, State's like very ready for Mac play after the schedule, I gotta say. <laughs> They're ready for like, action. They didn't, they didn't I, know that coming into the season that UW was gonna be a top 20 team. 
I, I don't believe in the what's the what's the what do you call it the transitive transitive property of college football. It's going to be I interesting discussing the transitive property about your Seattle Seahawks in a minute here. I do not believe in the transitive property of I don't believe in in, in, in any football, but but what I do believe in is motherfuckers like you and Katie <laughs> after crushing Michigan State, finding something to be upset about, saying that UW can't run the ball. And then who's there? Set about something to be nervous. I walked about. into the stadium with Katie panicked against playing a sorry team like Stanford about the run game, and then immediately, immediately, who's there to shut up the haters? But Wayne Talapapa and Kalen DeBoer. I'm just telling you, you got too fixated on one thing in small sample size, and this UW offense can do it all. Let's hope so. I mean, Stanford's defense is very bad, which is actually part of the reason why Penix's performance rated as poorly on Saturday. As it it's did. not a big deal, though. But you know who else doesn't have a very good defense? There we go. Despite don't, don't being come 4-0. Be a sorry team like Stanford in the parlance of a graduate of theirs. It's UCLA, who is also, so again, also 4-0, have scored precisely 45 points in three of their four games, but against weak competition, their strength of schedule ranks 128. Proof of power, power index, their best ranked opponent thus far, number 62, South Alabama, who took UCLA to the buzzer where the Bruins made a short field goal to win 32-31. Don't come at me with records, okay? Just a win-loss record is the equivalent of completion percentage. It is the batting average of stats in college football. All right, well, let's talk about their FBI efficiency. <laughs> I was, I'll tell you, I was on the way to the airport today. And there were billboards for this game. I thought about turning around, just going straight to the Rose Bowl. I was like, I'm I'm two days away. Get me to Pasadena right now. Friday night lights at the Rose Bowl. Oh, I wanted to be there. The good news is there would probably have been tickets available. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you've seen the photos of the Rose Bowl. <laughs> Possibly, hey, that's Big Ten football right there. It just oh, wow. matters or, more. We'll see what the California Board of Regents has to say. Oh, come on. It just means more in Big Ten football. That's why they need to sell all 12% of that stadium. UCLA's offense, 28th in FPI efficiency, but their defense, 80th in special teams, 114th. I don't know what it is about Pac-12 teams and just god-awful special teams. Uh, is the Huskies are still 110th in that category, despite ranking 7th on offense in 27. What have they done wrong in special teams? How is UW 110? Yeah, they I'm had the sure fucking they... special teams player of the week this last week. It's true. I don't know how much Peyton Henry's field goal has actually affected their EPA. But still, 110? I it's very low. I they agree. haven't like give up a given up any like a kick return or a punt return touchdown. Or really they bad, have like, generally been pretty good on kickoff coverage, I would say. I can't think of a really bad special teams play that they've had this season. Yeah. I'm gonna know. I'm just gonna go ahead and question FBI on special teams through these first four weeks. Okay. Uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson ranks third in the Pac-12 in QBR thus far after finishing second last season. He's in his fifth year as a starter for UCLA, thanks to the extra COVID year of eligibility. Now, can you remind me on QBR? QBR is a stat that overrates running. Is this the thing that we're aware of? That is that is typically the case. I, I know that to be the case much more in the NFL, but I think it's probably also the case in college football as well. So this this would generally lend itself, if we're looking at this particular stat, QBR, it's just something to keep in mind yeah. because there were some people earlier this week using evidence 
using QBR as evidence that Michael Penix Jr. wasn't the best quarterback in the University of Washington history. Those people <laughs> were they? Were Does actually happen? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're you're gonna need to start with the man in the mirror when you approach these stats. Yeah. But you know, it probably overrates Jr. noted noted dual threat quarterback Jacob Browning. Noted scrambler Keith Price. Where I mean, QBR did, doesn't QBR you were does talking not take about Michael Penix vis a vis UW quarterbacks in history. You were talking about we're not talking about the good Jake Browning here, but we were talking about Michael Penix vis a vis other quarterbacks in the Pac 12. And yes. a quarterback like DTR is somebody who's going to look very good in QBR, but we have to go into that knowing that this is a stat that I think might have ranked Mitchell Trubisky as the second best quarterback in the NFL. Wait, wait, that was last season when he had 25 attempts? No, 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 no. When he was in Chicago? Yes. No, no way. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure there's a top five season by QBR. Maybe top five, but there's no way he was second. I'm just just understanding that it is possibly a flawed statistic (laughs) and might overrate quarterback running. There's some limitations to QBR. It's still, I think, the best thing that we have at uh, at the college football level. Oh man, he did finish third in 2018. Wow. Okay, so when you when wow. you're talking, I literally just googled 2018 QBR. It was 2018 or 19. 2018. Oh, that's the postseason, not the regular 2018 regular season. Look, you know all the big stars at the top: Mahomes, Breeze, Trubisky. Look, not everyone can be an MVP. I'm, and also, you look at the if you look at it by EPA, which is a much more important stat to look at, you would find Mitchell Trubisky at number. Well, the reason EPA is lower is because of the number of plays. QBR is EPA basically divided by number of plays and then adjusted for your schedule is how that works. Now, Trubisky actually did not run that many plays. Did he miss games? I don't remember what happened there. But you'll, He probably you'll, didn't run that many plays because they didn't actually have a good offense. You will note he was second in rushing EPA that season with 22. So that is a significant amount. Anyway. All, all that you're trying to say is you're quoting back to me, Dorian Thompson Robinson being a better quarterback than Michael Penix Jr. via stat that ranked Mitchell Trubisky at number three and Russell Wilson in 2018 at number 11. I mean, and Aaron Rodgers at number 16. Well, I think this, that might have been a bad Rodgers season. I think Ben B would tell you that uh, it was. Uh, Thompson Robinson is average. One of many. <laughs> oh, well, has averaged at least eight yards per attempt each of the last three seasons. I hesitate to even say this. He's completing a career high 75% of his attempts this season with just one interception in 107 pass attempts. Uh, Michigan transfer Zach Charbonnet is averaging 6.8 yards per carry with four TDs this season. Although only average EPA thus far. Uh, no second receiver. year in UCLA, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, he transferred before last season. No receiver averaging more than 56 yards per game with Duke transfer Jake Bobo leading the way. He's got 15 catches for 221 yards through four games. Uh, South Alabama was the only team to run for more than 2.4 yards per carry against UCLA in part because of their sacks. UW transfer Latu, Latu, who was medically retired due to a neck injury suffered in practice before the 2020 season, then subsequently transferred this offseason to UCLA and was cleared in April to return under his former position coach here at UW by Kaika Malloy, the uh, Husky alum, and now leads the Pac-12 with five sacks, a half sack ahead of Braylon Trice. Both part of the same recruiting class. 
South Alabama was quite efficient in that game. They completed 72% of their passes in addition to running for 162 yards on the ground. So this will definitely be the toughest test the UCLA defense has faced thus far. Okay. Michael Penix Jr. still has yet to be sacked this season. Uh, the only sack the, Seah- the Huskies have allowed, I believe, was Dylan Morris in garbage time. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, we also saw the return of Jackson Kirkland. Uh, yeah. And we saw the return of the running game uh, at the same time. I, I don't know if those things are necessarily a coincidence, but... Kirkland I, I returned look- against Michigan State, didn't he? What? Kirkland returned against Michigan State, didn't he? It was last so. week his first game. Pretty sure last week was his first game. But okay. I, I don't... I, it's a very experienced UCLA offense. And when you look at that between DTR and his fifth year, you know, Charbonnet from Michigan has been there forever. Like, it, it's an experienced offense, and they're they're running very well at this point. And it definitely will be a test for the UW defense. At the same time, on the flip side of the ball, I just don't really see how UCLA is going to stop the Huskies in this game. And... I saw the line. I saw the you know the FPI chances of winning for this game, and they're totally out of whack, in my opinion. I this mean, is a, a game is home field advantage. FPI does rate UW is clearly the better of these two teams. Oh, do, does UCLA have home field advantage? <laughs> I mean, most teams do have some form of home field advantage. UCLA is thirty eighth overall in FPI. UW, as I mentioned at the top, is eighteenth. This is it is going to be a bigger difference for UCLA than it is for UW. UW's been playing real football for f- on, on most of the season, if you count Kent State. But they haven't been playing on the road, and that is a test that they, they have not yet faced under Kalen DeBoer. I think that is a meaningful thing. If it were a different team, I'd be a little bit more concerned. If, if it just understanding culture and history, UCLA is not a scary place necessarily for this team to go. It, it's not a place that I look at. The desert is what scares me. The desert is always what scares me. Especially the desert. That's a 1 p.m. kickoff. Oh, yeah. Week. The one that, yeah. Like they finally get a day kickoff. And obviously it's in Tempe, Arizona in early October. Great. Thanks. We're supposed to have a little heat wave here on the West Coast also. We are. It's not like Phoenix. Not fucking I, the desert. Right. Uh, Brendan Horst said it was uh, 105 there on media day on Monday. In, in Arizona? Phoenix, Phoenix, obviously. Yeah. Good God. Uh, <laughs> yes. This one scares me a little bit less, though. Friday night, I think the team is going to be amped up. They're going to be ready to go. UCLA would be very excited for it, but I just look at it, and UW is a better team offensively and defensively, and probably special teams-wise. And ultimately, I think that's what's going to matter in this game, and I still think they're going to win comfortably. Uh, the two preliminary forecasts to be meaningful for Saturday, October 8th in Tempe is a high of 92. That could be worse. That could be worse. It could be a lot worse. I agree. <laughs> that could be much worse. I, we, uh, but we could be concerned about that in the future. This is, this is temp- weather is not going to be a factor Friday night in Los Angeles. You wouldn't think so, no. Uh, one other note on UCLA, lots of other UW transfers besides just Leotu Latu. Uh, Ethan Garbrush has thrown for 255 yards. Is Thompson Robinson's backup. Well, Colson Yankoff now playing a running back. Has eight I, carries I mean, for 42 Colson yards Yankoff, he was he's playing running back. He was playing tight end last year, I think. I think so, yeah. He was the one who I in the in the initial time that we talked the about Jake Hayner. It was Hayner versus Yankoff. 
we we never talked about it. so jay Kanner, i believe was a high ankle sprain that he was diagnosed with okay so not, nothing terrible off. that's good yeah he's uh still out this week but uh hopefully we'll be able to return soon i don't think i realized that ethan garbers was there yeah he, yeah, is he is he former... next in line to take over quarterback for? I would think so. He's played quite a bit, so he's clearly the backup right now. This fucking team is going to go to the Big Ten with Ethan Garber as a quarterback. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> have fun, have fun. What is it? What is it? It just means more here. No, that's the SEC. That's the what is the? Is there a Big Ten slogan like that? Is there a Big Ten slogan? Big Ten motto. Let me let me see here. I could I could count on zero hands the amount of UCLA gear I saw in Los Angeles, California this week. We are big, perhaps. We are, okay, that's not. Yeah, I mean it is big, very big stadium. <laughs> you can't yeah. can't dispute. I mean the size of the conference in yeah. terms of ge- <laughs> geography, it's enormous. Once it's you add big. UCLA, USA, it is big. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I don't. I don't think I was exactly feeling the excitement around UCLA football. Hard to believe, truly, <laughs> truly shocking stuff. It was it, people were as hyped on UCLA football as they were on the Rams winning the Super Bowl. Oh, exactly tied. Wow. Chances of victory. I. By the way, I I saw a Rams fan when I was watching the Seahawks game in LA against San Francisco. <laughs> you cited one. It was a Rams fan. It was there at the the tap house. Uh, watching as I was, who was like, no one else was cheering at all, but everyone's were in they while, ho- were the Rams, cheer. The Rams were playing though, right? They, they were hosting Atlanta at that point. The Rams were hosting a game, and it was notable that you saw a Rams game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, the tap house is not exactly a place you would go if you're from Still, LA. If you're like, I don't mean to compliment Seattle as a football town culture, but. If you go anywhere on game day in Seattle, you're going to see a lot of Seahawks gear. You used to. Like I said, SeaTac Airport last Sunday. Baron. It's you. Baron. You were the one who was there. It was, it was me. If you can't find the Seahawks Life fan in the crowd, Seahawks maybe you are the Seahawks oh, fan no. in the crowd. Oh, boy. Anyway. Uh, ch- chances of victory? 75%. Oh, this is way too optimistic. It's a gimme. 60%. I just... God, I would... I. I, I didn't want to stay in LA for two more days because, you know, I'd rather just move there forever. But <clears throat> it was like a beautiful 89 degrees in almost October. I mean, yeah. I, I walked around, walked to, I was staying downtown uh, and walked to get, I think it's called the Donut Man. The uh, Donut that's Man. A, that's it. Oh, it's so good. Their donuts, I, their donuts are better than any donut in the city of Seattle. I've had it before. It's incredible. Is this lo- located in the... Uh... It's in the Grand Central there. Yeah. There's 100% vegan ramen. Like, the whole fucking place is just excellent. I was at a rooftop pool just, like, Friday. or It felt like Friday. It was literally a Monday. Um, <laughs> but it was L.A. It was L.A. and it was 90 degrees. So it felt L.A. Like Monday is a Seattle Friday. <laughs> Everyone true. knows. It is true. <clears throat> Uh, uh, yeah, I was hanging on a rooftop pool, just like 90 degrees, sitting, chilling. It was but did you have any tacos? I did not have any tacos. I got to Sonora Town. That was, that was the most important thing in my LA trip. I've just, I've done Sonora Town so many times. I did dumplings, Mason's dumplings. Hmm, nice. Phenomenal. 
Excellent. I did Dumplings of Fury last weekend in West Seattle. Very, very strong. God, what was the other food that I had where I was like, fuck that? Friend of the pod, Dumplings of Fury. I had to go. We went to this restaurant that's like across the street from CAA because we were meeting with Josh and he was just like, oh, there's this place. And it's literally just all like CAA suits. It's like Ari Gold or whatever. Figured I, I I have some NBA jokes about who you might see there, but I'll I'll save those NBA jokes oh. about CAA clients. Uh, okay, should we talk about the Seahawks? That's kind of weird. So they sure. lost, yeah, if we at to. home to the Atlanta Falcons, <laughs> 27-23 last Sunday. Uh, they got completely torched by the Atlanta Falcons offense, which seems like not a great sign. And also to discuss said transitive property, it was very interesting to watch the Seahawks' two first two opponents, the San Francisco 49ers and Denver Broncos, square off on Sunday night football. Because number one, it made you feel like maybe the Seahawks' offense was actually pretty good. Because yep. those defenses looked great. But it made you feel like, wow, the Seahawks couldn't stop this Denver Broncos offense and that San Francisco 49ers offense. Not so hot. And DVOA reflected that they are down to 30th in defense. And your take last week is looking good. Thank you. <clears throat> I don't even know which one, but thank you. They, no. they were the worst defense <laughs> I, I in the know, league. I do you know. know. There was a lot of talk about that on Saturday at the game, at the UW game. Uh, but up to 12th in offense. And I got to say, Here's my take. I feel like the best parts of the Seahawks, with the possible exception of special teams, are the things that Pete Carroll has the least influence on. Because Pete Carroll wants to run the ball and stop the run. They're okay at run defense. They're not good. They're fine. They're below average at running the ball. Uh, but like, also, pass defense is Pete Carroll's thing. Second, Former secondary coach, former defensive coordinator, they are so bad at stopping the pass. That, the gray-haired man, when he was at the University of the Pacific playing safety, uh, he would be devastated by how bad the secondary is. But I, you just said that they were good at stopping the run? No, I Did said you not were, see Cordero Patterson? No, I said they were not bad. You said they were not bad at stopping the run? Did you see Cordero Patterson? I, I did see Cordero Patterson. Well, part of the reason like my take was going to be the thing that Pete Carroll cares the least about is pass offense, and that's what the Seahawks are best at. And then, like, looking at it during the game, the Seahawks' rush defense DVI was still better going into that game than it, their pass offense was, but that is no longer the case. Pass offense is the only thing, again, besides special teams, that are they are they are remotely good at at this point. They're just I, I, a very strange team. Like the, the take I will say that I feel of mine that has it aged well that the Seahawks linebackers might be close to as bad as their cornerbacks. I mean, we, we heard it when we heard, I think we talked about this last week when we heard Mike Sean at, at the uh, Seahawks man to man live podcast say that there was a linebacker who came up to KJ, Wright Saying, are you sure you don't want to play this year? We need you. And KJ was like, yeah, yeah. And the linebacker was like, no, we need you. And that's the reality is if the Seahawks were actually trying to compete, KJ would probably be on the team, right? Like, if they actually were trying to win and make the playoffs this year, 
Pete Carroll knows this information. If that linebacker knows the information, Pete Carroll and John Schneider also know the information. But yeah, Pete Carroll's running around talking about the 1972 Dolphins and training camp. So I don't, it's hard to square. And like, if he's saying these things to the team, we have to assume that these are the things he was telling Jody Allen when they traded Russell Wilson. I, I, in, in hindsight, it's been three weeks. In hindsight, I feel like given how bad the Seahawks are defensively, same as my take about DK Metcalf, given how bad the Seahawks are defensively, they're not one Russell Wilson away from making no, the playoffs. I mean, we talked they're, about this. Zach Stubal posed the question in training camp. Like, what would be the scenario where you would feel that it was a good decision to trade Russell Wilson? Well, A, Russell Wilson wouldn't play very well. Just I don't happening. even know if I would factor that in because I'm sure that Russell Wilson would be playing well on the Seahawks. Like sure. I, I don't, I don't take too much from what he's done with the Broncos so no, far. I, but, but there was the concern: like, would he potentially lose trade value if you kept him this season? And I think that potential was on the table because if this, the Broncos tried to trade him right now, they're not getting two firsts and two seconds well, and no offense, I mean, yes. etc. And then number two, it was if the Seahawks, as you said, if the Seahawks defense was so bad that you're like, well, even if you had Russell Wilson against this dreadful schedule, you still wouldn't be a legit contender. And that's how the Seahawks look. That, that's why they've ended up being, ultimately, you have a point to make. Go make your point. Oh, I have a galaxy brain take. Yes. You, you say DK Metcalf, which is obviously off the table after his extension. The Seahawks should trade Geno Smith. <laughs> There's got to be somebody out there that's going to need a quarterback at some point. Like, Geno's pretty good. Oh, yeah. I mean, the offense, that's what I'm saying. They are a very strange team. And ultimately, I guess they're a very strange team because of how similar they've looked in the past. <laughs> right. They like, keep they, changing all these faces, like new coordinators, everything. Well, since since the defense got bad. like Sure, obviously th- not during the Legion of Boom look, era, yeah. But the yeah. minute that the Seahawks got bad... The Seahawks defense is basically as it's it's maybe even worse now than it was. But like, well, it's always awful at the beginning of the season. So we'll see if they get the the midseason bump they're counting on. I I really don't feel like I'm counting on it. It's also, by the way, should we talk about the Daryl Taylor thing? What Daryl Taylor? I don't even know. Well, that they're planning to play him less on early downs. Why? It's not great. They're going to Carlos Dunlap him. What are they going to do? Save him for the playoffs? Because of how bad he is at run defense? Because of how bad they are at run defense, but I, I think he is currently being scapegoated for it. And like, yes, Boye Mafe is one of the people who's going to play more on early downs, but, you know, Daryl Taylor is someone who is being sold as uh, a core piece of this defense going forward. And it's all bad. There's no answer so to much. it. It's not like they're not one Daryl Taylor run-stopping away from being a good defense they are probably 11 defensive players away. Uh, they're not 11 defensive players away. Or they're, they're six defensive players away. And or Darryl, something like that. I mean, and Daryl Johnson's the other guy who they're talking about playing more on early downs, which like... The Moose? If, if Daryl Johnson is good, that's great. But if you're planning to play a guy who got waived by the... I guess by a surprisingly good team, because he was waived by the Jaguars, right? Can't say anything negative about the Jaguars. They no, weren't. I would never. <laughs> they got those. Uh, if you're doing that, then uh, uh, oh no, he was released by Carolina, so it was a bad team. Okay, fair. Uh, if you're if you're playing him instead of Daryl Taylor, is supposed to be like an anchor piece of your defense going forward. It's not a great sign. 
No. I mean, if it's the 30th best defense in the NFL and the difference you think from there is going to be playing Daryl Johnson more, like, it's just, it's over. Like, they're just not going to be good at that point. And it's going to be down to the offense to do it. And the one thing that I, I felt like through that game, scheme-wise, they tried to get the ball downfield. There were open receivers on almost every play. And Gino, there are minor differences between watching Gino and Russ play. Gino does get the ball out very quickly. Gino is a, he, he drops back, finds the open receiver, and gets the ball out. Like, there are things that Gino does that are very nice. I like seeing Ken Walker in space. Like, there's some interesting things that are building with the offense. I think Gino probably could be a playoff caliber quarterback. I mean, like, when you look at this offense, this is, it is the type of where they rank 12th in DVOA. Yep. If they had an average defense, the Seahawks could be competing for the playoffs, but they have one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And they just, it's, we're not a getting lucky with Tariq Woolen away from being good. You know what I mean? Like, that's where the draft picks matter. They are, again, there's six players away. They're a complete overhaul on the defense. I don't think it's a scheme thing. Shonda's eyes in the answer. Clint Hurd is in the answer. They just need better players. That's it. Yeah. Like, in what fucking world did we think that these players would be good? There's not even that high of a pedigree for most of them. So, Cody Barton is the starting middle linebacker. I believe we had a podcast at the start of the season where, again, you scoffed at the idea that the linebacker could be that big of a weakness, A, and B, we did talk ourselves into the Seahawks maybe being average on defense. Certainly, I, you know, potentially being around 20th. They're worse than I thought they would be. I agree. But also, we didn't know that Jamal Adams was going to get hurt in the first half of the first game. Like, Fair, although a number of people respond to that by saying, you know, the Seahawks are Jamal better Adams. defensively without Jamal Adams. Which well, I, they're wrong. Or or maybe they're you not. said that. They're probably they're they're just bad. Like I yeah. don't know what to tell you. They're bad and they have bad players and they should feel bad about themselves. Um Well the players shouldn't feel bad about themselves. They're trying their hardest. They they should feel great about how much money they're making. Uh Jamal Adams in particular. But but I mean, you know, Jamal Adams has suffered significant injuries. Like, being Jamal Adams is not that fun of a thing right now, despite the money. The one thing that... So, watching the game, it's like they're passing on early downs. They pass on early downs better than the Falcons did a lot. I was watching the Falcons playbook and I was uh, play calling, and I was like, Arthur Smith kind of sucks. Like, there was nothing that was impressive about what the Falcons did. The Falcons were the Seahawks two years ago. Right, like it's interesting because Arthur Smith's claim to fame was Tennessee, and like obviously they used play action very well. Tennessee was never the type of offense where it was like, oh yeah, let's emulate that. Tennessee, every time they were good, was just like, I don't really know why this team is good. Like they don't do anything. This isn't a like McVeigh style offense, Shanahan style offense. Wow, you're willing to concede that to McVeigh? But you understand, like. When McVeigh is coaching well, right? Yeah. Also, the fucking Kyle Shanahan, just that offense. Maybe do something. The something. the Falcons did have awesome EPA per play on their first and second down passing, but uh, did they didn't so do it that much. Forty percent right? of the time, the Seahawks did it 
about 60% of the time. The Seahawks are coaching the right way all the way down to a fourth and two in the third, <laughs> deep in the third quarter. And the second that, again, I was kind of cheering against the Seahawks. So I was, I was kind of loving every second of it. But literally the reason the Seahawks lost this game, they lost the game because of their defense. But the second that Pete Carroll decided to kick that field goal, the game was over. It was done. I knew it in the moment. He kicked the field goal and the game was over. We could not stop them defensively. You can't only score three points there. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a thing you have to account for when you're making coaching decisions. Well, and there was this idea. I We didn't talk about this because I was on a plane, but like they had a play called. They weren't set up right. Pete calls timeout and then kicks a field goal. And everybody's going out there carrying water for Pete. Like, well, we weren't set up right. And it's like, you called the timeout. You can just call another play after that. That is correct. And the especially element if you're of going surprise to use a timeout in the second half. You well, should. and also this same fucking thing where like literally they blew the timeout to kick the field goal. And I'm like, take a delay of game then. In that moment, it's like, if you're going to kick it, take a delay of game. It doesn't matter. Those five I mean, like, yards. Did Gino call that or was that called from the sidelines? I think it was just an everybody called it. It was it was like the clock is running down. They're not set up right. I'm thinking that came from the sidelines. But take the delay of game there. You don't. And I was like, they're going to need that timeout later. And guess what happened? Not that their run defense could stop the Falcons, but there was a situation that came up where they needed all three timeouts to get the ball back. It was bad coaching in every single capacity. And I've been impressed to the mildest degree. I've been impressed by Pete Carroll because their offense looks different than it did in the past. I would have loved to have seen Russell Wilson in this offense and I'm watching it. And I'm like the quarterback's making the plays right now, given everything that they have, everything that they can do. The quarterback is making the plays. The situation is right, but they are being held back by the defense, not being able to get a stop and the coach making a stupid decision on fourth down. If you're not set up right and you're going to call a timeout, call another play out of that timeout. You don't only have one shot. You have his, you could have called multiple. You could take more than one timeout, right? I mean, I don't think you can call more than one timeout in the NFL now. Okay. Well, you understand what I'm saying. They they had every But you could have called a play during the timeout. There was ample time yeah. to It wasn't to like call the options. element of surprise on a fourth down is not the only advantage you have. It's a very small advantage you have. The main advantage you have is not turning the ball over to the other team. The, the main advantage, yeah, is having a fourth down and two situation. Is potentially scoring a touchdown. So that was it. Game was over in that moment. And I was like, that's why Pete Carroll is not the right coach for the Seahawks. Should because I go back and edit it in airing of grievances before this? I, you can edit it in airing grievances for the entire fucking season. <laughs> I uh, the thing that is really frustrating is he doesn't realize that that this, that that was the case that the uh, yeah I mean his comments afterwards were all about like the issue in the I think it was in in Geno Smith's decision on third and two and it's like the, there was a there was a mistake in your decision as well there I was at a management office today and God there was a quote from Lou Holtz. Uh, that was basically no, like... Do you think Lou Holtz went for fourth downs a lot? I don't, oh, absolutely I don't, not. I don't really but remember. It was, but it was basically so. like, to summarize, if you're pointing fingers at everybody else, it's usually your fault. 
which is the the basic. I don't remember the exact quote. And it's like if you're blaming the offense for not being set up, it's your fault. Does it ultimately all come back to you? Yes. And, when you have and so much I felt power like over the organization is it's you done. I, I I don't know if I really under, understand in your parlance what accountability means you seem to have very particular feelings about what accountability means but in term usually just means blame people think it means blame how about this if we have to give blame for the game it's probably first and foremost on the defense pete carroll's defense or it's on pete carroll's decision in that situation that's what it was but again i didn't want them to win the game so who cares (laughs) you were mostly just upset that the broncos came back to beat san francisco one the fucking Russell Wilson. This is like you want to talk about Russell Wilson. Like I don't even give a fuck about the Seahawks stuff. I don't feel betrayed. I feel nothing. I feel nothing at all. I feel betrayed that he didn't throw the ball to Jerry fucking Judy. Oh, I feel betrayed that he just didn't score enough points in general, and I lost. God. Oh, I was I'm still starting him this week though. It's such a good matchup against Las Vegas. Is it? It is. The Las well, Vegas defense Holland's is going to have not, 250 yards. Not strong. Derek not Carr strong. will not be able to find Darren Waller and Devontae Adams. This has been your fantasy quarter. Should we it talk is, about the Lions? On the, on the, my Colton Cast Champions League team, which I definitely aren't earned it. I, next year, I might end up in the Champions League that way. Quarterback. My other team's good. Quarterback. People were mocking me also about my running backs. Cordero Patterson, Damian Pierce, and, oh God, who did I have on the bench? <clears throat> there's a third good running oh Khalil Herbert I mean that's interesting because I'm not starting Damian Pierce yet in the other league he had a great game but maybe, maybe this week I have the Raiders <laughs> quarterback wide receiver number one wide receiver tight end and kicker and do you know who's number two in their position in fantasy the kicker it's the kicker he's the kicker Usually not a good sign for the touchdown scoring of all of those other players. Uh, well, at least you're getting some points for those possessions. Should we talk about the Lions? The consolation points. I get the Pete Carroll. They go for fourth and two. Ah, they weren't set up right. Let's just kick. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'll take three instead of. Shout to Josh McDaniels. <sighs> the 12 uh, that I would get. For, or I, got, I would get 10 from a, a pass and a touchdown. Yeah, Correct. Plus, plus the catch. So, yeah. Anyway, I'll take three. Whatever. Lose the game. So it's the first game for Quandre Diggs against the Lions since being traded to Seattle. That was a talking point in his session with media on Wednesday. But here's the thing is like the Lions fired literally everyone who was there when he was there. So it makes sense that he was like, I don't feel that strongly about it anymore. Matt Patricia is not walking through that door. And if he is, he's offensive coordinator, de facto offensive coordinator. He's calling plays. Lions very banged up on offense, running back DeAndre Swift week to week with an ankle shoulder injury, while star wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown did not practice Wednesday, nor did TJ Hawkinson, slot wide receiver Josh Reynolds, and lineman Frank Rigna and Jonah Jackson, with fellow wide receiver DJ Chark limited. They also lost safety Tracy Walker to a season-ending Achilles rupture on Sunday. Uh, St. Brown probably the most notable of those injuries aside from DeAndre Swift. He returned to Sunday's game after an ankle injury. Tom Pelissero of NFL Network said earlier in the week that tests were positive on him. I guess the good kind of positive, not the bad kind of positive. Uh, if we go to George Costanza's prognosis negative. In what world are tests being positive a good thing? <laughs> But the Lions would be, quote, cautious with the injury. St. Brown's DVOA hasn't been great thus far, but he has twice as many catches as any other Lions player in three touchdowns in three weeks. 
Uh, Josh Reynolds actually a bit better by DVOA thus far because he's averaging, I think, like 14.6 yards per uh, target. Uh, St. Brown had eight catches for 111 yards and a touchdown in a 51-29 loss by the Lions in Seattle last January, despite Tim Boyle playing quarterback in that one. Jared Goff back at QB for the Lions. He ranks 20th in the Dakota composite. He's a respectable 14th in EPA per play, two spots behind Geno Smith, but 29th in CPOE because of his low, and I, I know you hate to hear it, completion percentage. Uh, Jamal Williams in Swift's abs- with Swift leaving early had 20 carries for 87 yards, two touchdowns in Sunday's loss to Minnesota. But uh, Swift posted 200 yards on 20 carries the first two games. With him likely out, Hard Knocks hero Craig Reynolds could be in for a bigger role on early downs against the Seahawks. Those injuries a factor in the line dropping to Lions minus four after opening at Lions minus six. If we look at the other side of things, Rashad Penny torched the Lions last year for 25, uh, 170 yards on 25 carries and two touchdowns in a game where I didn't start him in my fantasy league championship. Do not regret that, not even a little bit. Uh, the Lions have gotten three sacks in as many games for number two overall pick Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, Hard Knocks hero Malcolm Rodriguez, a.k.a. Rodrigo, has 22 tackles, second on the team. And there's also lots of excitement about former number three pick Jeffrey Kuda at cornerback. I guess he's now going by Jeff. Though DK Metcalf Has was... he always been Jeff? Yeah. This isn't a Matthew Stafford type situation. He's always oh, been no. Jeff. Uh, DK Metcalf was asked about him locking up opponents and said that he didn't think so because of the safety help, but uh, did say that Okuda is a good corner that he'll probably be matched up plenty on These are Sunday. Stupid questions, players guys. Just like, yeah, he's going to shut me down. What is DK Metcalf going to say there? I mean, it's especially NBA players hate giving any defenders credit for when they play poorly, which they're probably not wrong, but still. Just literally, what would be the best answer there? Like, oh, know. he's a solid defender. He's a good corner. Yeah, he's a good corner. But you're Which is notable. Give, he didn't start his career that well. That much credit. Uh, Lions, despite being one and two, I mean, their two losses have come by a combined seven points. They're 13th in DVOA, 7th in offense, 22nd in defense. This team is, thus far, I would say, exceeding my expectations after watching Hard Knocks. They look excellent. I mean, I mean, they're excellent very primed. Strong. Seventh in offensive DVOA with Jared no, Goff as their quarterback. No, that's like, very I good. don't, I don't know what you're looking for. Uh, ultimately, you look at them and you look at how bad the Seahawks defense is that they're playing on the road. I, I'm a little surprised that the line has moved in the Seahawks' favor. Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's just strictly an injury situation. So if we get news that Amon Raz St. Brown is definitely going to play in this game, then, you know, it probably trends back in Detroit's direction. Six points is maybe a little bit steep to to give the Lions in any situation, but I mean, that has to be the most they've been favored for a while. That's a great question. When was the last time the Lions have been favored by that many points? By six points. but But otherwise... I mean, I suppose I could see a shootout. It's just the, the Seahawks offense has been moving the ball fairly well, getting some big plays. I just cannot imagine them winning a shootout against the Lions in this game. Like, Which their they did do last year. Way more explosive. Well, Tim Boyle ain't walking through that door. Literally. <laughs> he is not. He is definitely not. 
It was a different the, team last year. Who's the backup quarterback now? Nate Nate Sudfeld? Is that his name? <laughs> that sounds right. Okay. I didn't watch that episode. <laughs> where they cut both of the quarterbacks. David Blatt did nothing wrong. I think David Blatt did some things wrong. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I don't believe it. Uh, but ultimately, the Lions offense has been moving the ball very well this year. And if Amon Ross St. Brown is healthy, we're, we're expecting probably no on DeAndre Swift. It seems very unlikely that he will play. So. Is this a 10 a.m. start time? This is a 10 a.m. start time. Wow. Yeah. That is some great dead air here. I just, I have nothing else to say. Whatever, who cares? <laughs> you gotta fill a little bit while I look up the. Are you looking? Are you still? I thought lines. we were about to get to percentage chances of victory. We are about to get to that, but I'm, I'm okay. gonna look this up. Okay. Uh, but I, I also believe that the Lions' defense is probably significantly better than the Seahawks' defense is, and I'm, I'm expecting a little bit of regression in the mean for the Seahawks. The open receivers that they've had, I think, has maybe been a little bit fluky. The, the. I don't think they're going to finish the season as the 12th best offense in the NFL. And there's Probably going to be a little not. bit of regression for the Seahawks. So maybe that starts this week. Maybe the Lions play a little bit better. I honestly don't anticipate that this is going to be a close game. Uh, I think it'll probably be a reasonably close game. I mean, I guess, I guess the 49ers game definitely was not. Some of it depends yeah. on the Lions health. Uh, Mrs. Fantasy Gene asked me to take Luca to his baseball practice, which I think starts at 10 a.m. on Sunday. I was going to ask whether we were watching this game together. We haven't watched a Seahawks game together in a long time. I'm guess I'm guessing not. I don't know. Unless you want to come to the baseball practice and watch on my phone with me. That doesn't sound that exciting. No, I'm no. Not, probably not driving all the way out there for that. To Ravensdale? No. How... I have nothing else to say about the Seahawks. I've exhausted everything. <laughs> All right, chances of victory. I, I am struggling to find the uh, the historical spreads here. Twenty five percent. Wow, I'm going to go at thirty five. That's good for you. Still got that. Still got that. Get... Hope works out for you. I mean, the hope is strictly for the Seahawks over that I wagered on in Vegas. Oh. I mean, I mean they, they do have the 31st uh, most difficult remaining schedule from here on out, right? The schedule is not great. On the other hand, are they going to play another game easier this season than home against Atlanta? <laughs> there are a lot of games. When you look at the schedule, you're like, God damn. Ah, there, maybe. there are but a the lot reality, of easy games. I, I, I think if they had a defense, they could win these games with Geno. For sure they could. But they just—they don't have good players on defense. They've drafted—they drafted a fucking running back in the first round, and then another one in the second round. That's how you end up with bad defensive players. That is how you end up with bad defensive players. But it is also how you end up with exciting packages with Ken Walker the third playing alongside Rashad Petty on the field. I mean, yeah, that was pretty dynamic. I will give them that. Shane Walter yeah. is doing some things. Yeah, no, that was very dynamic as the Falcons just hand the ball to oh, no. Patterson for a 41-yard gain. 
Well, look, we can't all convert wide Every receivers. Every action has a reaction. Specialist. Every like five yard gained by Rashad Penny that we quietly clap for has a Cordero Patterson 41 yard run on the opposite end. Like that's that's the reality of this. The way that you end up in this situation is you draft those players. <laughs> that's how we got here. If the Seahawks would have drafted it. And also they could have drafted offensive linemen before this year. Seeing the line be pretty good. That's part of it is like Gino's playing with a better line than I feel like Russ maybe at least post Super Bowl ever played with. Like the time that Gino has for these receivers to get open. It's like, God. Yep. <sighs> Football suffering. <laughs> anyway, the way that you get good. It's, it's good that the defense is so bad that the team is going to have no choice but to recognize that the defense is really bad and draft defensive players. That they can't be like, like what we should be hoping for is a bottoming out on defense where it's not like, well, you know, if Uchen and Nuoso maybe will change everything. It's like, no, Tariq Woolen is not answering your problem. Also, the interception at the end of the half, like I think Arthur Smith also. Why did they pass on that play? There were four seconds left or whatever. It wasn't a deep pass. It was a short pass. It's like, take a fucking knee. And then the C- it's like Trey Quillen gets a pick and it's like, dope. That's great. They I mean, there was a certain this. risk they ran of a pick six on that situation. No, yeah. there there was no positive for the Falcons. He's a terrible coach too. He's new coaches this year. It's been really rough. He's not for, a new of coach course. this year. Well, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Except for, of course, Mike McDaniel. Uh, like, we can't all be Mike McDaniel. Is we it McDaniel? McDaniels? It's McDaniel, right? No, yes, it's... this was a big thing between us. Okay. You complained about me calling him Mike McDaniels. Okay. <laughs> Given you know McDaniels. There's only one great coach, and his name is Mike McDaniel. <laughs> Definitely not Josh McDaniels. <laughs> On that note. Oh, God. <laughs> four raiders four raiders i mean i didn't draft no i have josh jacobs i guess i drafted one the, the kicker is number two number two kicker in fantasy that's great thanks daniel yeah. there you go thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening.